1: Learn more at marines.com. And welcome back to the Rock Chalk Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Mitts. Today we are previewing the return game, Uh, Kansas going to Norman to uh, play the Oklahoma Sooners after narrowly winning the first one just a couple weeks ago, uh, to help me preview this time, I we actually were able to get, uh, someone on the podcast to come talk about Oklahoma. Unfortunately, we weren't able to make it work last time, but now we can, can chat about Oklahoma here. I have Jack Shields from, uh, the crimson and cream machine, the, the site side that covers, uh, covers the, the Oklahoma sooner. So Jack, how are you doing tonight?
0: Oh, not too bad. Not too bad. Just trying to get through the day. <laughs> it's, uh, Actually, almost over, so there you go. That's how life is in 2021. So Yeah, that's yeah, it is. Yeah, it's uh, ready for this weekend.
1: Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, obviously, there is still the slight chance that this game won't happen, although it doesn't sound like there's any COVID things going on with either Kansas or Oklahoma. It it seems to be running rampant in the Big 12. So we're going to, you know, knock on wood, cross our fingers, all that fun stuff to hope. Hope this game actually comes off as scheduled um
0: yeah obviously to my knowledge Oklahoma should be at full strength so there's that
1: well that's good for them (laughs) (laughs) Kansas Kansas unfortunately is not but I also don't know that it's going to make that much of a difference for how they actually attack this game so but let's go ahead and chat about Oklahoma a little bit because obviously we saw them against Kansas just a couple weeks ago um and you know they they were able to stick close with Kansas and really kind of make that more of an uncomfortable game than I think most Kansas fans were expecting. Um, but, you know, this team, I i feel like I don't really – still don't really know what this team does. The only name that really, uh, you know, sounds familiar or really we jumps out. You and Oklahoma of- fans have that in common for what it's worth. <laughs> well, I was going to say, Brady Manick feels like he's been at Oklahoma forever. Um, yeah. And so he feel- he's like the one guy that automatically jumps out to you. And then, like, Austin Reeves, you know, is a guy – who you, you, you kind of remember him being there, but to be honest, it feels like this is a year where he's really kind of stepped up and taken on a much bigger role than he has in the past. So is is that a fair assessment of the of this team? Um, or are are, are there any other guys that, that most non Oklahoma fans should be aware of already? Well, Reeves, you hit the nail on the
0: head with Reeves for sure. They this year they actually moved him to the point guard position, which has been huge because he's probably Oklahoma's best creator, so he's definitely someone who was suited for the point guard position because he's able to get to the hole, he's able to create, he's basically able to keep this Oklahoma half-court offense from uh, becoming stagnant, which is something that, you know, you've watched some long Kruger teams before, that's been an issue on occasion, so uh, it's definitely been a breath of fresh air, he's definitely uh, you can usually count on him for around five assists a game sometimes more, so I mean, that's been really nice Uh, Brady Manick, he's you know kind of a little bit of uh, you see a little bit of how he's been over the past 4 years he's very inconsistent very streaky as a shooter and it's you know it's been the same thing as a senior and he missed the past couple of games due to uh, covid and, and contact tracing and he was one of the people who was out due to that and uh he finally was able to come back against Kansas State but he didn't start he uh didn't play particularly well in his limited minutes so it's kind of a mystery as to how much you're going to see of him this Saturday or how effective he'll be. But um, outside of those two, uh, Davion Harmon uh, has been fantastic as a sophomore. He was a top 50 recruit coming out of uh, Denton Geyer in uh, Denton, Texas. And he, he did okay as a freshman. He averaged, uh, I think somewhere around 10 points a game. He sort of came on and off as a starter, sometimes come off the bench, sometimes should be a starter. But this year he's been really, really, really stepping up. He's been a more consistent shooter. He's, done pretty well as a creator and been a nice backcourt compliment to Austin Reeves as well and uh, regularly he has been Oklahoma's primary scoring punch so I mean that's been a really good thing to see and uh, additionally offensively it's been a bit of a surprise but Kirk Quest I mean you saw this against uh, in the first matchup against Kansas uh, he sort of took it upon himself to become a bit of a four stretcher I mean he, uh, he sunk a three against Kansas which is not something we had seen before and he's been doing a little bit of more of that lately since that game he's you know regularly having confidence from seventeen 18 feet and is you know he has a decent stroke and he's been doing pretty well which has been pretty crucial in the uh absence of Brady manic because Oklahoma has really needed someone down low to stress the floor. so that's been a really big component over the past few weeks
1: yeah it's it's a little weird because you know it's it's hard to say that they've really changed that much since the last time that they played but I also do think that they, like, there's enough things that were different. Um, you know, it seemed like, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the the impression I get of this Oklahoma team is that you do not have really the ability for two big guys to play together and be super successful at a time. It doesn't really seem I like think Brady that, Manik. I that's and, a very fair assessment, I would say. And, and so, right. And so like, it seems like Quet is kind of taking over what Manic tries to do when he's in Um. And Manic hasn't really obviously been available, as you were saying, because, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking at like the, the Ken Palm depth chart and all of this. And it definitely seems like Manic's minutes have been <laughs> severely diminished. And it, it makes sense if it was COVID related that uh, that, that would actually be the case. Um, but, you know, I mean, it it seems to me that they're it's not a, an, an instance where you're going to have two big guys in down low that are really abusing smaller lineups or are really making Kansas pay for the fact that they can't have you know, more than a single big guy in there and have any kind of success at all. Um, so Yeah, absolutely. I mean, is it fair to say, though, that this is a team that tries to play all of their offense through the paint? Uh, I'd say eh, possibly. I mean, a lot
0: of it comes through uh, penetration from Austin Reeves. I mean, that's be- that's become a very large component of it. I mean, he is capable any given day of getting, you know, you know, nine or 10 assists, he's he's reached that mark a few times this year. So, I mean, it's not, some of it's a little bit of ISO ball from him and him creating off of that isolation. So it's a lot of it does run through the paint, but I mean, I I would say a lot of it comes from the permit, sorry, I'm (laughs) stumbling over my words a little bit, but, uh, comes from the perimeter as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, it just, it it seems a little strange because I don't really see anybody here and maybe I'm missing someone, but there's not a high volume shooter. Well, I guess other than Imagi Gibson, and then, of course, Manic. Yeah, that, that would is,
0: definitely uh, uh, describe emoji given him for sure. He has the internal green light, but he's been effective lately.
1: Yeah, but, I mean, it seems like those are the only two consistent three-point threats. I mean, Harmon, Harmon is shooting 38% roughly um, on 40 shots, so he's, he'd probably be their third option. But, like, Austin Reeves is shooting horribly from outside, so it's not like he's a, yeah. a consistent option out there. Um, you know, kind of, kind of speaking to what Reeves has done, Comparing, you know, his play last year to this year, it seems like in able to, you know, taking that big step forward has really just been um, increasing his, his assist numbers and decreasing his turnovers, which has really kind of turned him into a very, very, I guess, a reliable point guard, it seems like, you know, that's kind of his main, his main role is to be a facilitator. And yes, he can, he can do fairly well shooting those, those twos, but you know, unfortunately, as we've seen, as the game trends more and more towards three-point shooting, to be a, a legitimate offensive threat from the perimeter, you have to be able to kind of step back and take those threes with some sort of regularity. Is there concern that, you know, with only two real consistent shooters that are that are high-volume shooters, that it makes it a little easier for a team to kind of pack the paint, um, you know, and, and make it difficult for you guys to, to get the offense going the way that you need to? Is that, that something that I mean, yeah, I, is I, is that something that you've seen quite a bit this year, or is it a is it a problem that I'm kind of inventing just based off of Ken Palm's stats?
0: No, I don't. I don't think you're inventing it necessarily. I mean, I the, the guy who was supposed to sort of step up as a three pointer shooter this year is freshman Trey Phipps out of Bush, Booker T. Washington. He uh, he hasn't really materialized thus far, but it, I mean, then again, he's a freshman, so we'll see. But uh, yeah, from outside, it's mostly Gibson, Harmon, and. And you know, usually Brady Manic if he's, you know if he's, you know, in the right head space. But uh Man uh Reeves, he's you are correct there. I mean, he hasn't really been as much of a three point threat this year, but I mean the offense always does a lot better when he defers to others and creates for others on the perimeter. So Harmon, he's been pretty consistent from the outside. Gibson, he's a bit of a high volume guy, a bit of a green light guy, but uh when he's on, it's it's pretty spectacular. But when he's off, you know you can see a two for nine stat line from deep. So uh, it just kind of depends. I mean, it depends on whether or not Manic is in the right headspace, and it depends on whether or not Emoja Gibson's in the right headspace. It's just it's uh, you never know what you're going to get from night to night, really, uh, from the uh, three point shooting here. Yeah, I mean, so
1: so looking at this team, I, I'm honestly I'm a little surprised that they're ranked 27th offensively in Ken Palm because it doesn't really look like there's that much that they do consistently well, other than they don't really turn the ball over. Um, And, you know, they, I mean, because they don't go to the line very often. <laughs> uh, yeah. When they do go to the line, they actually make quite a bit of them, but they're like very middle of the road, it seems, in both their three-point shooting and their two-point shooting. So, like, what is it that makes this offense as good as it, it seems to be? Uh, because nothing jumps out to me really – other than ball security, but you know, it's not like that ball security turns into, immediately turns into a bunch of good shots. Like, What is it that makes this offense go? Well, a lot of it has been creating points off of turnovers in recent
0: weeks. That's been a huge thing. I mean, you saw a lot of that against Kansas a few weeks ago. They were turning the Jayhawks over quite a bit, and that's sort of how they stayed in the game, despite not really shooting very well from the perimeter. And it, you saw a lot of it. You had a huge turnover differential against TCU the other night had a huge turnover differential against Kansas State the other day. That's been really the key to it, and a lot of it has come from the perimeter defense, just really, you know, being feisty on the outside, and at the beginning of the season, that was a major question mark because Oklahoma lost Jamal the Enemy in the offseason, who a year ago was by far the best perimeter defender on the team, but uh, Jim Molinari, his second year as an assistant coach at Oklahoma, former head coach at Bradley, I believe, he uh, this is sort of his hallmark is, you know, feisty perimeter defense. And throughout the year, even without the enemy, it's really become sort of this team's bread and butter. And they're kind of, they've done a pretty good job lately of, you know, having that translate into fast break points. And that's been what has separated them from Kansas state and TCU over the past two weeks. And it's what kept them in the game against
1: Kansas. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I don't know. I'm looking at this and it's, it's kind of one of the more confusing Ken Palm pages I've seen because (laughs) They rank fairly highly in both offense and defense, you know, top 40 in both, but nothing really jumps out to me as really good, except they don't send their opponents to the line very much. And they don't go to the line, but, but they don't go to the line very much. So that kind of works against them. They're really good at not turning the ball over, but they don't really force very many turnovers. Like, um, I don't know. It's just, it seems really weird to me the way that this, that this is set up for them to be ranked the way that they are. Um, so, I mean, I, I guess really, you know, what what is the feeling then of of Oklahoma fans, uh, both of like what Lon Kruger is doing and now his 10th, which I was, I'm surprised that it's 10 seasons, but his, his 10th season in Norman, um, like, are, were there big expectations for this team? And I mean, is this team performing the way that you guys were expecting them to coming into the year? I think entering the season, it was reasonable to expect this team to be an NCAA,
0: uh, NCAA tournament team just because. A year ago, with a lot of the same guys from last year's cast, I mean, last year they were probably set to be a 9 or a 10 seed in the NCAA tournament, and they returned a ton of production from a year ago. So it, I think it was reasonable to expect this team to make a trip to the NCAA tournament. I don't think anyone was expecting this team to be like a top-five seed or anything like that, but I think you know somewhere in the 7 to 8 seed range was probably pretty realistic. And if they can steal a few games down the stretch, that's probably what they're on pace to do, I would assume. But it's, you know, I I think the complaints haven't really been there from the OU fan base. I mean, the the four losses they've suffered this year were, they sort of ran into a buzzsaw at Xavier. They hit 19 threes in one game. You're not going to beat many teams when they do that. And then right. they have the, uh, the loss to Texas Tech, which Oklahoma probably should have won that game, and then a loss at Baylor, and then a loss at Kansas, and that's been it. So, I mean, there hasn't been really a ton for this fan base to complain about, but at the same time, there hasn't been much for the fan base to beat their chests over. I mean, they had the nice win over West Virginia, which, you know, they were a top-ten team at the time, which definitely helped their resume. But
1: Was that, I, was that know, before or after, or after Oscar Chibwe left the team?
0: That was the day that he left the team,
1: actually. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, I was like, if, yeah. you know, if you're wanting to discount that performance, well, they didn't have Shiboy and he had just left the team. So, like, you could use that as a knock to say that, well, that's you not could, quite as impressive yeah. as Absolutely. um Absolutely. You know, it's also kind of weird, too, because they haven't really played, like, they haven't won any games that they probably wouldn't have been favored in, in that particular, except for potentially that West Virginia game. But, extenuating circumstances means that they probably could you know it wouldn't have been outside the realm of possibility that they could be favored in that one at home um whereas all the games were there you know definitely going to be dogs in that you know like you know the game against texas tech at home and then the two away games against baylor and kansas like you weren't expected to win either of those games so it wasn't really that surprising that they didn't Um, so, I mean, yeah, I, I, I do agree with you. It's kind of hard to know what this team is. They're up to 26 in Ken Palm as of the time that we're recording this, but like, I, I still don't know what to expect from this team moving forward. Is this the team that you think has an opportunity to challenge for the top half of the big 12 this year? Um, like, are they, are they starting to come together or is it still too, too much kind of all over the place and they haven't had enough of those big challenges yet to really get a feel of how they're going to perform, you know, down the stretch.
0: It's sort of like you said, it's sort of hard to put a gauge on it at this point because the offseason, you know, the non-conference play this year was so short due to the circumstances. Yeah, I mean, they were, And also there were a few postponements and cancellations as well. Oklahoma was supposed to play Florida in non-conference play. They were supposed to play UCF in non-conference play. Both of those games were canceled and they didn't get to play them. So those would have been pretty good barometers for where this team was at in the early season. But, you know, it's mostly... In conference play for this team, for the most part, except for a few, you know, you know, cupcake games against UTSA and Oral Roberts and whatnot. So it's uh, it's sort of hard to gauge. But at the same time, the way this team is playing defensively lately gives me a little bit of hope. I would say that they could finish, you know, maybe sixth or maybe potentially sneaking at fifth in conference play. Which that with the Big Twelve as strong as it is, that would be good enough to punch a ticket for March Madness.
1: Yeah, for which sure. I think
0: would keep Oklahoma fans fairly content at this point, because that's been you know sort of the status quo over the past few years. People want a little bit more than that, but I don't think the expectations for anything more than that are very reasonable. So I, I think it's it, it, they've basically been on par with expectations up to this point, and I think the, from what we've seen, it seems like they can achieve basically what they were set out to achieve at the beginning of the season.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think that's fair. It is kind of hard to expect, I think, a lot more, just given kind of everything that's going around. Um, you know, and the, and then also the fact of just how strong this conference is. like The
0: top I think, half, especially. I mean, it's really tough to break the top five in this conference, just top five or top 15 teams. So, Well, I
1: mean, yeah, like coming into the year, there was talk about West Virginia and Texas were bringing back so much that you had to think that they were probably, you know, had a really good shot at finishing in like the top three or four. You know, Texas Tech and Kansas with the coaches that they have, And what they've been able to do recently, like it's hard to count them out at the top half. And then, and then Baylor, like Baylor had both the guys returning and a coach in Scott Drew, who has really turned it on in the last couple of years here. Um, And so like a lot of people were rightly saying that Baylor, you know, had an opportunity to be the best team in the nation this year. So like when you've got the best team in the nation, you've got two really, really strong coaches who have, you know, really pulled their weight for a long time or, or in the case of beard for pretty much the entire time that he's been in a Power Five conference, um, you know, and then you have two extremely deep teams in West Virginia and Texas that are returning a bunch. It's hard to to say that you should expect to be above them unless you have like a standout, you know, five star recruit, you know, or you have a bunch of guys returning on your own, um, you know, guys that were starting to gel at the last, you know, the end of last season, which is really what what like Texas had going for them. So, yeah, I do think it's fair to say that it would be hard to expect anything more than, you know, a a fifth or sixth finish, you know, especially with just how tough this Big 12 is. And then, of course, throwing all the COVID weirdness and everything else going on, like, that almost might have been the best opportunity for a team to sneak up into the top half is for a bunch of weird COVID stuff to happen that would allow them to get super favorable in terms of when matchups happen, you know, and all of that stuff. So um so so looking at Oklahoma moving forward, this is obviously the first of, uh, you know, what should be four extremely tough games you know uh we've got this game against kansas then going on the road to texas then welcoming alabama as part of the big 12 SEC challenge and then going on the road two days later on big monday to texas tech um you know i mean it is it is it fair to say that this four game stretch is really going to determine what the rest of the season is for you guys
0: I think possibly, and I don't think anyone is expecting Oklahoma to you know, have a clean sweep there. That would be absurd. <laughs> but like, that would be uh, absurd. <laughs> I, think, I think Oklahoma would need to win one or two maybe. I think maybe if you could win that game against Alabama and Norman and maybe steal one of these other three, I think Oklahoma would be in a pretty good position NCAA tournament-wise moving forward or at least on pace to do what they need to do. But, yeah, I, I think if, if they get swept in this four-game stretch, then I think the – Potential for quality wins down the stretch will be dwindling, which Oklahoma, as much as they lost in non-conference play, they didn't really have much of an opportunity to have their resume in non-conference play. It's, they're in sort of a position where they have to steal a few, so they can't right. just really hold serve like they have in years past after stellar non-conference play. So it's they're in a position where they need to maybe steal one against Kansas, maybe need to beat this Alabama team in Norman, maybe – if they could somehow win in Lubbock on big Monday, you know, and I mean, they're not playing in front of a packed house at, uh, United, what's it called? United supermarkets arena at this point, whatever they call it down in Lubbock. Yeah. I have no United idea. Spirit it it seems like it changes
1: every like three years. So. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It, anyway, I think, I think they could potentially pull that one off of against a limited capacity crowd. But I think if, if they could win at least one or two of this four game stretch, and I think they will be in a fairly decent position to, you know, at least be in a position to do something down the stretch
1: yeah i mean because then you know you have the game against iowa state to kind of break that up for a little bit and then but then you go or you you welcome baylor into norman then you go to west virginia then you you know then texas comes in then you got another game against iowa state and kansas state and then basically you have bedlam and and honestly the way that the you know, the way that everything's going, and you might have bedlam back to back like some of these other teams are doing. Like West Virginia already has to play Baylor back to back games. Kansas and Iowa State are playing back to back games. Like it seems like when they're postponing to get them, you know, kind of made up, they're they're sticking them wherever they can. So there's a very good shot that Oklahoma State and Oklahoma are gonna play back to back bedlam games at the end of the season here. Um, which should be interesting, but is also gonna be kind of crazy, I think. Um, but you know, theoretically both of both of those teams may go into those, those final two games at the end, needing, needing to split at least split for both of them to make it into the, in the NCAA tournament. Um, okay. Final question before we actually turn to the game here, because of all the cancellations and I, and I'm asking a bunch of people this, cause I'm, I'm honestly curious about a bunch of people's thoughts. You know, that there, there's some, there's been some pushback from some people that are a little upset about the fact that they are, you know, kind of rescheduling these games and basically making them do three games in, in a week. Um, you know, like, like Iowa state has to play three games in five days. Um, given that kind of pushback or, well, I, I should say, you know, cause they're going to get to a point where they won't be able to make up all those games. Are you, are you worried about the way that they're trying to get all of these made up? You know, especially knowing that, that, you know, your team is going to have to make up at least one so far um, and potentially more as there are more cancellations and like, or, or are you, are you more concerned about making up games or just making sure we can get to the big 12 tournament so that we can play that? To be perfectly frank with you, I'm not sure they should play the big 12 tournament this
0: year. I think that would cause the teams to rush this a little bit and kind of cram the schedule a little bit down the stretch. And I think if you canceled the big 12 tournament, it would allow them to space this out a little bit. Then again, there's a lot of money tied up into the big 12 tournament television wise. So who knows if they would want to sacrifice that? I'm guessing the answer is no. But you know, if you're going to cram these down the stretch, I don't know if this situation's really going to get any better as far as testing's concerned over the next few months. So at least not in that age group, I don't think. So I, it, it does worry me a little bit, suffice to say.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that there's definitely a path forward that they could potentially do it. You know, I've even heard rumors and, you know, the thing that kind of makes the most sense to me is as long as you don't have a team that needs to make up like six games, you know, or something ridiculous like that, that, you know, you can you can get to the time for the Big 12 tournament, have everybody after that, because there's like two weeks from the final scheduled game all the that way into the Big 12 not. tournament. And so, if you take that first week, and and I'm not going to go into super a lot of detail because I've already talked about this a couple times, actually. Um, but like, if you go, if you go, take a week, bring everybody to the conference tournament site, you know, quarantine them for a week, do a whole bunch of testing until you're confident that they can play. The teams that need to make up games can make up games in that week prior to the Big Twelve tournament, you know. And so, I mean, you could potentially in a tournament type setting, there play for four games in you know six days if you need to to get whatever games you have left made up. And then go ahead and play the big total tournament at that point. Then everyone's quarantined and you can ship them off to the the NCAA tournament after that and keep everybody in kind of a quarantine environment. It would suck for the players because to be quarantined for that long. But I think it also would give the best opportunity to get as many teams as possible eligible and available for the NCAA tournament. And so I definitely think that's a possibility. The question being there is how do you make sure that you don't have too many games to make up to make that a possibility? And that is where you have to start cramming them in now to make sure that you don't get into a situation where, you know, one team has enough COVID cases to have to cancel their next three weeks worth of games, you know, and then you've lost an opportunity to make up games now and stack more games on top of it.
0: I think you're onto something there. I mean, if it's feasible academically, you know, because I mean, if you keep them quarantined for over a week, then there's going to be some issues with class schedules and things of that nature for schools that aren't doing online learning. So it, it just True. kind of depends, and, and depending on whether or not – usually that's around spring break for a lot of these schools, but it's not going to be spring break for every school. So it, it just – there's a lot of logistics to work out there, but I think you're Let's be
1: honest, though. If if academics need to take a backseat to make this kind of thing happen, it's going to take a backseat to make this kind of thing <laughs> yeah, happen. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Too much money there. All right. I do want to go ahead and turn to this actual game, kind of talk about the matchups and stuff, but before we do that, I need to go ahead and throw it to a quick break. We'll be right back on the Rock Talk Podcast. We love the whole Big 12, and we are available everywhere that podcasts are found. So go and find the 1012 podcast and subscribe today. And we're back. All right. So looking at this actual game here, you know, we already have one matchup to kind of look back to. But before we get into like the matchups and what might have changed since then, how how much of that because it was just you know two weeks ago, how much from that game do you think that we're going to be able to pull? and kind of apply to what we think is going to happen in this game, because I'm going to admit like looking back at that game and on all the stats from there, there were some performances that seemed to be extremely out of character for some of these guys. And so I'm wondering how much of that has continued, especially from the Oklahoma end or how much of that was an aberration for them.
0: Well, it's, it's hard to say, because like you, you, we've mentioned earlier, there was no Brady manic for Oklahoma and we don't know how much of Brady manic we're going to see in this game. So it's, I think as far as, um, the game plan is concerned. I don't think it's going to change that much for Oklahoma. I think the biggest difference on Oklahoma's end is going to be depth because Oklahoma's front-line depth was, you know, flirting with three or four fouls for the majority of the second half, and it was tough to keep more than one big guy, more than one front-line guy out on the court at one time. So it, was, it became a bit of a depth issue because, I mean, Manic, you know, he plays down low. Jalen Hill he could play inside or outside, but he's usually relied upon for a lot of post minutes down the stretch. So being without them, I think hurt Oklahoma a little bit, but I think as far as the game plan itself, I don't think it's going to change too much.
1: Yeah. I mean, so, so looking at that prior game, Austin Reese was, was the big score for, for Oklahoma. There wasn't anyone else that was in double figures for Oklahoma, which is a little surprising for me. But then again, when, you know, when, when the final score is 63 to 59, you're not going to have a ton of players that are going to score, especially when one of your, you know, t- uh, players come, you know, ends up scoring a third of the points that your team gets. So it makes it kind of hard for anyone else to to really be in double figures. But, you know, the thing that, that I kind of noticed here was, um, you know, you had you had two big men for Oklahoma that got into foul trouble. And I don't remember the timing of it because it's been, you know, I didn't go back and rewatch the tape or anything, but um Kirk got you know had four fouls and I again I don't remember how much time he actually had to sit because of those how early they were in the second half um but McCormick had himself a game and this was like the first game honestly for him where he finally seemed to start playing the way that we expected him to play this year um you know as the focal point down low and he's carried that forward for the most part so I'm wondering how much of that was he finally got it going or how much of that was just that Oklahoma was dealing with foul trouble and he was able to really kind of get it going in this particular game. Um, you know, that, that, that to me, I think is the most intriguing matchup just because McCormick's going to have to play well, especially since, you know, Kansas without Bryce Thompson again in this matchup um, you know, he was out with a back injury for this game, which we were all kind of worried about. Um, and then, you know, now he's out with a, with a broken finger. Uh, So he's, he's going to be gone for a little while. They're not going to be worrying about whether he's coming back or not. But again, I mean, it's weird because the guys that are missing are probably going to be missing or only back at partial strength um, in this game coming up. So while it feels like that was like a, a weird, not normal, you know, performance for these guys, it also kind of feels like the situation is getting set up for a, a fairly close repeat to what happened before, if not, and obviously the exactly how it happens, but at least, like, the, the the prep and the game planning and how you would attack these particular teams. I'm sorry, say that again. Oh, no, I was just going to say, like, it seems like we're, we're really kind of setting up for a very oh, similar yeah, type yeah. of game. Because you've, yeah. you've got the same guys that are going to be out for the most part, um, you know, I mean, it, it seems like we're, like you were saying, I don't think the game plans are going to be that much different. One, because it hasn't changed that much, so it's not like what Oklahoma does has really evolved throughout you know the last two weeks um but i'm also just kind of wondering like do do you agree that the that, that down low is going to be the most important matchup or is there yeah, some other yeah, match that I, you're I, actually I, I,
0: no i completely agree yeah and it, it's going to come down to how well quest and uh victor iwakor can deal with mccormick because i don't think it's all about oklahoma's lack of depth in that game with mccormick i mean he looked fantastic against oklahoma state to me and i mean he's he's done pretty well. I mean, he's obviously a guy who has a high feeling. So, I mean, I don't think that was, you know, I don't think that was a mirage at all. I mean, like, I think that was, uh, I think he was legitimately turning it on at that point. So it's definitely going to be a big deal. I mean, Quest is a guy who isn't very strong of build. He's against a guy like McCormick. I mean, that's a really big physical mismatch. I mean, the thing that can sort of make up for it with Quest is his length, but it just sort of, He has to uh, be technically sound defensively. He can't, you know, fall for pump fakes, which McCormick has some pretty good moves down low. So, I mean, it's something where he's got to be really disciplined in the paint in order to avoid uh, fouls or in order to avoid looking silly. So, I mean, it's Iwakor, he's another guy who's really lengthy, who could theoretically match up well with him as long as he's doing what he's supposed to do defensively and if he's technically sound. He's a sophomore. He's a little bit raw. So he's sort of, and he's also fairly slight of build, so he's sort of in the same boat as Quest. So it's going to be really interesting to see how they deal with McCormick because those are the two guys who are absolutely going to be on him because you're not going to put like Brady Manick on McCormick. That would be a recipe for disaster in Oklahoma then.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's 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 really weird too because Kansas seems to have problems on the inside. Um, at least they have throughout the conference season especially. Or actually, I'm, I'm sorry. They've actually been a lot better in the conference season. Um it looks like actually it's their non-conference that's really kind of dragging them down still at this point. But the thing that really jumps out to me when I'm looking at this matchup is that Kansas is still really good at shooting the three and making threes. And Oklahoma is not very good at all at defending them or, you know, shooting them. Um, and so like, I get I, how much, how much are you worried about the fact that Kansas does have, you know, four legitimate outside shooters that could potentially take advantage of this of this defense here and, and what kind of things can Oklahoma do to try to frustrate Kansas ability to actually make threes or do they just have to hope that Kansas can't hit any?
0: Well, very worried. I mean, that I'll answer that question quickly. Just, I mean, you saw Xavier, which is not really a vintage Xavier team. I mean, they're kind of having a rebuilding year over there in Cincinnati, but um, they hit 19 threes against Oklahoma. and A very large chunk of those were open threes. So it's something that has gotten a little bit better for Oklahoma, but it's been sort of their bugaboo for the past three years. So it's, it's something that, you know, Oklahoma's perimeter defense has gotten much better. They have a lot of length out on the perimeter. So that's been really crucial. They've been able to turn people over, but sometimes they get caught in switches. I mean, it's, it's sometimes they will leave the 3 pointer open. I mean, in spite of the fact that perimeter defense has gotten a bit better. So, yeah. Short answer is that yes, it does worry me, and I think Kansas can definitely
1: take advantage of it. Yeah, I mean, I just, I mean, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure how they're going to take advantage of it because Kansas has shown that they're, you know, extremely cold at times. They've been fairly streaky so far this year, and I don't know if that's individual players that are just streaky and they're not really going to it as much, so it seems like they are, um, or if there's something else going on. But for the most part you know, Ken's been shooting really well against teams that aren't good against defending it and very poorly against teams like Texas who are really good at kind of swarming the three-point line. So, you know, it's one of those things typically you know, the the, the philosophy that I've always kind of bought into um is that for the most part like you can't do much to affect three-point shooting percentage from the defensive end except for you know, contesting or not contesting shots. And, um, but it doesn't seem like that's necessarily been kind of what's driving Kansas's three-point shooting. Um, like, it seems like there's a real definite effect from, uh, you know, from the opponents and their ability to guard the three. That obviously looks good for Kansas in this particular game, just because Oklahoma does, does struggle with it. Um, but, you know, kind of on the flip side, you know, looking at what Oklahoma actually does, especially in conference play, like I was saying earlier, it seems like the only thing that they really do well, meaning that, like, offensively, top of the half of the conference, um, is that they don't turn the ball over. <laughs> and when they go to the free throw line, they make them. And, they, you know, and part of the not turning the ball over is that they don't, you know, they, they, don't, they don't get the ball stolen very much is that sustainable for them to really kind of compete with some of these other teams or especially looking at Kansas? Like if that's your game plan is to just take care of the ball, um, you know, and hope that turns into more opportunities. How, how does that turn into a win for Oklahoma? I guess what what I'm really asking is how does Oklahoma attack this Kansas team and and what do they have to do in order to actually win this game?
0: As far as actually being assertive and
1: attacking it's,
0: I suppose it's getting Reeves to the foul line. I think that's one thing. Getting him, if he can somehow get some penetration, get to the line plenty of times, because when he gets to the line, that frequency Oklahoma typically does pretty well. It's just a matter of whether or not he can really start having his way in that department. It's That's really offensively, that's the key to it, and potentially getting people to crash down on him and get some open shots for Emoja Gibson. I mean, he's really the guy who you need to step up in that regard from benefiting from Reeves' uh, penetration. But as far as the not turning it over thing, it, it feels sort of like the only thing that Oklahoma can really control offensively as far as the outcome concerned. So it's definitely an important facet of the game, obviously, but it's it's one of the main things that has really worked out for them, and it's been the difference in a lot of these games. But when you're going up against a – you know, blue blood like Kansas that recruits very well, you have to do a little bit more than just not screw up essentially. So they are going to have to be assertive offensively and it's going to start with reason, whether or not you can get to the lane and draw. some. Yeah. Contact. So, I mean,
1: I guess final, final question concerning matchup is like, what's, what's the X factor in this game going to be like, what's going to be the most important player or the most important matchup that's going to determine who actually wins the game.
0: I think it, a lot of it's going to come down to whether or not Brady Manning can, be enough of a threat from the outside to stretch the floor and allow austin Reeves to you know have lanes to get inside i think it's whether or not oklahoma can do it well enough with their big shooting to stretch the floor against a team like this i think that's the main x factor with manic you really never know whether or not he's going to be in the right headspace he might be eight of ten from three he might be one of nine from three you never really know with him it's it's not something that's really improved throughout his career. He's just a streaky shooter. It's just who he is. It's, it's you know, it's sometimes when he starts missing a few, his confidence really gets rattled, and he sinks his head, and he makes mistakes, and it becomes a real detriment to the team. I think the X factor in this game because of this is Brady Manic, honestly, and we don't know how much we're going to see of him, which is what makes this such a variable.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's what kind of concerns me as a Kansas fan is because I have flashbacks to Brady manic, just going off, you know, going eight of nine from three or just ridiculous performances that you weren't really expecting. And obviously at this point, you kind of expect it. Cause it seems like every time these two teams play, if manic's in the game, he's going to be hitting threes from pretty much everywhere. Um, but I, I do agree. It kind of depends if he is, if he is not either not healthy enough to be able to stretch the floor like that only having one perimeter shooter really does mean like other than, than manic really hurts Oklahoma in terms of being able to, especially a guard oriented team in Kansas, you know, if they if their defensive players can just really focus on making sure that guys can't drive or can't make good passes past them. It's going to be a lot harder, I think, um, for Oklahoma to, to really kind of get what they want inside because, you know, basically Kansas doesn't have to worry about trying to guard out at the perimeter. Um, in terms of like preventing shots. So, all right. Um, We are actually running really low on time here. So real quick, what is your prediction for this game? What do you actually think is going to happen?
0: You know, I actually think, like you said, we're going to see something fairly similar to what we saw last time. I don't think either of these schools is going to light up the scoreboard this time. It just, I, I think with manic back and the way they're playing out on the perimeter and turning teams over, I, and without KU having uh, Richardson, I, I kind of would give a slight edge to Oklahoma, just the slightest. But, I mean, it's a coin flip just like it was last time, honestly. I'm going to go Oklahoma, let's say Oklahoma 67, Kansas 65. I think it's going to come down to the last bucket.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I, I definitely see what you're talking about there. I think the one thing that's different, and I can't believe we didn't talk about this. I completely forgot to bring it up earlier. Um, In the first game, Christian Brown went one of six from three-point range. And, you know, in his last two games since then, he has been much, much better. Um, or I guess I mean, I'm mainly thinking of the Baylor game because in the in the game against uh, Oklahoma State right after that, he was only one of four. But against Baylor, you know, he, he was on fire in that particular game. He went five of six. And, I mean, if he's able to bring that kind of, you know, sharpshooting ability from three, which is really his entire role on the team at this point is, you know, play good defense and make threes. Um, that is that is the one thing that I could see happening that didn't happen in the first one that could give can't So if Kansas wins this game big, it's going to be because Christian Brown went off. That being said, I do think there is a very good possibility that even if he does start to go off, that other things are going to kind of break down. I thought, you know, I don't know that McCormick is going to have quite as good of a game. So I also think it's going to be close. But I, I honestly think that the, the three point shooting of Christian Brown is probably going to make the difference here. I don't know that I have an official score prediction. We'll actually have one up on the site um you guys can go read here um actually not too long after this episode comes out but uh we definitely want to you know make sure that this is well this is definitely going to be a good game the question is just going to be how good of a game and how much are people actually going to be worried about this game depending on which side you root for so uh jack thank you so much for joining me tonight where can the people find your work online
0: well they can find us at crimson and cream machine which is uh It's a pretty, you know, long URL, but it's our URL, so we've got to deal with it. <laughs> but, uh yeah, and uh in, on Twitter you can find us at C Machine and uh on Facebook, you know, just Crimson Cream Machine. So there you go.
1: Definitely. All right. Well, thank you, Jack. All right, thanks, Andy. And that's going to do it for us tonight. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you haven't already, please do go out wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the other million apps that are out there. Just search for Rock Chalk Podcast so you can subscribe to the podcast and get every episode as soon as it comes out. If you can leave us a rating and a review as well, five stars and nice comments would be absolutely great. But if you can't do that for whatever reason, just let us know what it is we can be doing better. We bring the podcast to you guys to get you all the information you need in as entertaining a way as possible. So if you ever have any comments, questions, suggestions, people who want to try to interview anything like that, you can Contact me by email at rockchalkpodcastgmail.com or on Twitter at pod You can also get your voice on the show. Do that by going to anchor.fm slash rock chalk podcast slash message. Leave us a voicemail. I promise we'll get it on the show for you. But that's going to do it for us tonight. Thanks again for listening, guys, and we will catch you next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast.